Wow. Come on, anybody love Jesus in here today? Come on, can we give Jesus just the greatest standing ovation of praise? Oh, come on, Calvary, you could do better than that. This is the day that the Lord has made. Come on, let's rejoice and be glad in it. God, we welcome you in this place today. You're the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. Have your way today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Uh, don't get comfortable. You might be back up again. Come on. Anybody glad to be at church on a Sunday morning? Come on. In the first service, the first service, church statistics show that the most spiritual people come to the first service. So uh, it's good. It's good to have my chocolate face in the place today. We're going to have an awesome time. Pastor Robbie, man, you just took the words right out of my mouth. I am straight up family now uh, at Calvary. I'm just your cousin down the street from the great country of Texas. And uh, it's just amazing. I'll I tell you what I love. Every time I come back to Calvary, you keep going from strength to strength. You keep growing. You keep going from glory to glory. And that's just amazing. And uh, I would come not just to preach. I would come just to hang with your pastor because I love this man and his wife. Come on. You are blessed. No, for real, Calvary. <laughs> Can I tell you, there are so many people literally around the world, so many friends of ours, we just talk about how amazing Robbie is, and when you're around him, you're encouraged, your spirit is lifted. So if you don't get anything for Christmas, just thank God that you got blessed with two incredible pastors, Pastor Robbie and Monica, who I love so much. And anytime he calls me, I'm coming. So we're going to have fun today. I cannot wait to preach this. Word. I almost, I'm almost was going to preach a Christmas message, but... Um, I really felt like what I'm going to share today is going to get you ready for all that God has for you in 2019. Amen. How many of you believe that next year is going to be the best year you have ever had in your life? So uh, it's kind of where I want to go today. So I want to jump straight to the word if that's cool. Do you have a Bible with you? Come on, if you got a Bible, would you wave it in the air like you just do care? Awesome. Come on, some of your Bibles are glowing. You charged up your Bible today. Thank you for that. I, I want to look at the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 5. And I want to read quite a bit of scripture. I want to look at verses 21 through 43. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. And I need all of it for you to kind of get the context of where we're going today. When you're ready to read it, why don't you say, yeah. yeah. If you need some time to find it, say, hold up. All right, awesome. Come see first service. You got it already. <laughs> Starting in verse 21, it says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then 
the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, one version says, ignoring what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all the commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and then told them, don't just stand there and look at the girl. Go to Chick-fil-A and get us something to eat. Come on somebody, that is good all by itself. That's just good scripture. And uh, in full sermon disclosure, I have to tell you that <clears throat> I almost titled this message Get Up because I thought that was the culmination of the miracle, Jesus telling this little girl to get up. But upon further reflection, I realized that was a premature title, premature title, simply because of verses 40 and 41. And I want us to look at it together. We could just put verses 40 and 41 on the screen. Because remember, Jesus walks in and says, this girl is not dead, she's just asleep. And then it says, but they laughed at him. They laughed. Who is the they? The negative, doubting, unbelieving, faithless, ooh, cantankerous people that were in the room. You know those people that light up a room when they walk out? <laughs> those people that for every solution they're going to find a problem, that's the they. It says they laugh, and then it says after he, that he is Jesus, put them all out. Jesus put them all out. In fact, the Greek suggests that he physically put them all out. I don't want to mess up your theology or your Christology today because you think that Jesus is just kind and sweet and loving and caring and he's a good, good father. He is, but this text lets me know, don't get it twisted. He is so, so gangster. Because all of those negative, doubting, unbelieving, faithless people, he said, all y'all got to get. Ooh, you ain't got to go home, but you got to get out of here. Put them all out, and once they got out, then that little girl could get up. Calvary, what if the power of a miracle is not just in the miracle itself, but rather in the atmosphere and the environment that surrounds your miracle. Oh, come on, somebody. Could it be possible that you've been telling some things in your life to get up, but this is the season of your life to start checking your atmosphere and telling some things to get? Ooh, come on, first service, help me preach. Would you just say my title? Just say, get out. Ooh, look at your neighbor, the one you don't like that much. Just look at him and just say, get out. Not now, but later. Come on, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Get out. 
Calvary, the divine intersection and collision of characters in this text today immediately gave me a nostalgic parental fatherhood flashback to November 2014. I remember it quite vividly because I was getting ready to leave our home in Dallas, Texas to go preach at a conference, which isn't anything unusual. I often will leave to go preach at a conference, except this time, everything was different. Everything was different because I was not just leaving our house as a husband. Now I was leaving our house as a father. Our firstborn daughter, Everly, had just entered the world, and I was in that ooh, emotional, precarious predicament of leaving my firstborn daughter for the first time. And come on, every parent in here will attest to the fact that things are different with your first child. Oh, come on, somebody. There are things that happen with your first child that none of your other children will experience, okay? <laughs> like now. Now, my wife and I, we have three kids plus a demonic dog. So, <laughs> when I leave the house now, I leave like I got warrants for my arrest, and I take the long route home, okay? Often, often my wife Taylor will call me with chaos in the background, and she'll be like, babe, where are you? And I'll go, I'm in traffic. She's like, no, you're in the driveway. I see you. Come in the house and help me <laughs> with these kids. <laughs> but when is your first? When is your first? It's different. So I was emotional, to say the least. Tears are going this way. Snot is going the other way. I'm holding my baby girl. I'm like, I love you. I care about you so much. I'll be back tomorrow. Uh, you is kind. You is smart. You is important. I mean, I was a mess. I was a mess. And <laughs> I get to the conference, I get to the conference, in, it's in Florida, and uh, I'm still emotional when I walk in the service, I'm still emotional, and a guy by the name of Eddie James is leading worship, and of all songs, of all songs, he is actually singing, you're a good, good father, it's like, no, I'm not, Eddie, no, I'm not, it's just a mess, and uh, I don't even think I preached, I just put up a picture of my daughter, said, that's point one, two, and three, and Got off the stage and was in the back talking to the worship leader, Eddie James, and he says, uh, congrats on your daughter, Robert. She's beautiful. I said, thank you. I made her. <laughs> then, said, uh, then said, Eddie, you know, my daughter, Evie, might not have ever been born if it wasn't for you. Eddie looked at me like I had lost my mind. I said, Eddie, you probably don't remember this, but in December 2006, you were scheduled to lead worship and preach at Christ for the Nations Institute in Dallas, Texas. But en route to Dallas, your van broke down on the side of the road. Eddie goes, I remember that night. I said, Eddie, you picked up your phone and you called a man by the name of Adam McCain. And you let him know that by the time your van would be fixed, there was no way you would be able to make the service. So regrettably, you had to cancel. Adam McCain got off the phone with you and looked at a room full of people and said, Eddie James just canceled for our Tuesday night student chapel. Who in the world can we get last minute to fill his spot? In that room was a man by the name of Brian Ming. He lifts up his hand and says, hey, I just heard this young guy named Robert Madu preach. He's local here in Dallas. Maybe he can do it. All of a sudden, my phone rings and a voice on the other line says, is this Pastor Robert Madu? I said, why, yes, it is. He says, this is Adam McCain from Christ for the Nations Institute. He said, I know this is crazy and last minute, but we just had a cancellation for our Tuesday night Bible College Chapel. Is there any way you would be available to come and speak to our Bible College students? Now, keep in mind, during this time of my life, I myself am a Bible College student at Southwestern Assemblies of God University. So I said to Adam McCain, you know what? It seems like yesterday I was a Bible College student myself. What an honor it would be to come and part to your young people. 
drove from Southwestern to Christ for the Nations. I'm about to get up and preach. But before I get up, they say, hey, it's Tuesday night, so it's time for our Tuesday night testimony video. We're going to show a video of a student in our body whose life has been impacted by Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden on the screen, I see the finest girl with the strongest southern accent I have ever heard in my life. And she starts telling her story of Jesus changing her life. I don't meet the girl I preached that night. I'm at my school the next day, walking down the hallway. A girl taps me on my shoulder and goes, hey, Robert. I said, it's Pastor Robert Madu now. <laughs> she goes, was that you that I saw last night getting ready to preach at Christ for the Nations? I said, yeah, they called me last minute. She goes, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. Did you see the girl on the screen telling her testimony before you preached? I said, yes, I did. She said, I've known that girl for years. I've known you for years. And I always thought that you two would be perfect for each other, but I never said anything. But the fact that you were there preaching and they showed her video, you two have got to me. The next week, that girl and I went on our very first date at the illustrious International House of Pancakes. <laughs> I said, Eddie, to make a long story short, that girl's name was Taylor Mitchell. It's now Taylor Madu. We did what married people do. Evie is the evidence of that. Eddie, I am so glad your van broke down on the side of the road that day. <laughs> oh, and I share that story with you this morning. Uh, first of all, to give some hope to the single people. Uh, <laughs> But also to say, who in the world would have ever thought that Eddie and my Evie were connected? Because their connection is not one that is easily seen on the surface. But once you begin to peel back the layers and dig down deep into the value of a person's life, it becomes so clear that none of us get to live our lives in autonomy with just me, myself, and I. But how many of you know all of us are connected? Come on, we are deeply connected. Miracles merge with miracles. Testimonies touch each other. Our stories have a way of intersecting because we are all connected. And doesn't it frustrate you when people you love don't understand this and they got the nerve to tell you, don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. You do you, I'ma do me. You do you, I'ma do me. And you want to look at that person and say, oh, well, you doing you is affecting me because all of us are deeply and intrinsically connected. We're connected. So I don't find it strange in Mark chapter 5, Mark begins by talking about this synagogue leader by the name of Jairus. But in the middle of Jairus' story, we're interrupted with the story of a woman with an issue of blood. And the reason that Mark has sandwiched these two stories together is because the two of them are connected. Oh, they are deeply connected. And now, not on the surface now, not on the surface. If you just look at the surface of their lives, ooh, they cannot be more opposite. If you just look at the surface, come on, one of these things is not like the other. Let's just start with biology one-on-one. Jairus is a man. She is a woman. Hello. Jairus is named in the text. The Bible doesn't even give us this woman's name. Jairus is honored and respected, but this woman has been shamed and rejected. Jairus is a ruler in the synagogue. This woman can't even come near the synagogue because her sickness has made her ceremonially unclean. Let me bring the text to the 21st century. Jairus is driving a Benz. This woman is riding the bus. They have nothing in common on the surface, but yet life has put them in the exact same place, posture, and position because they both have been hit with something. Woo! 
know that they cannot handle. How many of you know life will do that? Life has a way of evening the playing field. Life is an equal opportunity employer. Life does not discriminate. Life will hit you upside the head with some stuff that your money can't fix, your friends can't fix, your Instagram following can't fix, all your degrees can't fix. You can have more degrees than a thermometer. Life has a way of hitting you upside the head with some stuff that will take your breath away. And might I suggest that if life has hit you with something that you cannot handle, how many know that thing is a job for Jesus? That's time for you to just throw up your hands and say, God, I don't know what to do about this, but surely you know what to do. Oh, come on, somebody. Look at Jairus and this woman. Nothing in common on the surface. Both ended up in the same place, having to push people out the way Ooh, to get an appointment with Jesus. I love it. I love that not one of them had a pretty pathway with rose petals to Jesus. They both had to physically push people out the way ooh, to get an appointment with Jesus. Ooh, I didn't expect to get a lot of amens on that because you don't like that. You want everything to come easy from God. You want God to show up like Amazon Prime and 24 hours or less. But every once in a while, you will have to be inconvenienced. Every once in a while to get what you need from God, you're going to have to do something you've never done before and push some things out the way that you have never had to push. And I love that both of them had to physically push pushing people. I'll tell you why they're pushing. They're pushing because desperate people do desperate things. Come on, when you're desperate for God to do something in your life, how many of you know you approach God differently? When you are desperate for God to show up, ooh, you might come through the snow even if they cancel service. When you are desperate for God to show up, you'll be in here before the countdown with your hands lifted. When you are desperate, you'll sing every song loud. You don't care whose nerves you're getting on. You'll mess up all that Mary Kay and Mac makeup because there's something that you need God to do. Oh, and there's something about desperation that God will use. In fact, God will often use desperation to push you into your purpose and to drive you into your destiny. And it was the rolling tides of desperation that brought Jairus and this woman both at the feet of Jesus. Who are you bored yet? Okay, because I would love to delve into the details of their desperation. Uh, Jairus gets to Jesus first, and uh, boy, is he desperate. He's desperate because his little girl, his baby girl is dying. She is dying. So when he gets to Jesus, he's talking to Jesus with the vocal intonation of a 911 caller. He's not saying, Jesus, come to the house. He says, I need you to hurry up and come to the house. This woman is just as desperate, but her situation has been going on for a while now. This hemorrhaging, this bleeding that is occurring in her body. And watch how much Mark, the gospel writer, wants us to know that the two of them are connected. Because it just so happens that Jairus' little girl who is dying is 12 years old. And this woman with an issue of blood has been dealing with it now for 12 years. They're connected. So you got a 12-year-old dying daughter and a 12-year-old disease. So that just means, chronologically speaking, the same year that this little girl was born was the exact same year that this woman was diagnosed with her disease. That means, cinematically speaking, if Mark chapter 5 was a movie and the producers of This Is Us were making the movie, this would be at the scene in the movie where it would flash from the feet of Jesus and say 12 years earlier, and it would go to a hospital. And walking out of that hospital would be Jairus, his wife, and them holding a brand new baby girl, smiling ear to ear with the full elation of parenthood 
And then perhaps walking out of that same hospital is a woman, tears coming down her face because she's just been diagnosed with a disease and the doctors don't know what to do about it. And just maybe they were in the same hospital that day but didn't even see each other. Come on, y'all, isn't that just like life? Sometimes in life, you can be so preoccupied with your promise or so preoccupied with your personal pain that you don't even see other people around you. Sometimes in life, and especially in the church, you can be so busy shouting over what God has done in your life or so busy weeping over what hasn't come to pass yet that you're oblivious to other people that are around you, other people that God wants to use you to minister to. And can I suggest in this narcissistic, individualistic, selfie-saturated society, in which we live. We've forgotten Romans chapter 12 that says you have to rejoice with those that rejoice but also weep with those that weep and don't be so concerned with you that you miss other people that are around you. Ooh, thank God for Jesus because the two people that didn't see each other at the hospital are now forced to see each other at the feet of Jesus and now the two 12s are touching. Ooh, everybody just say 12. Oh come on say it like you had your coffee today. Say 12. How many know you don't need a Bible college degree? Uh, you don't have to be a student in biblical numerology to know that there are some numbers in the Bible that God is trying to give you biblical blues clues that these numbers are a big deal, okay? <laughs> 12 is one of those numbers. 12 is a big number to God. You remember when God began his covenant with his people, a covenant that began with the call of Abraham, continued with Isaac, and culminated with Jacob. Jacob had not one, not five, not ten, 12 sons. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. 12 is a big number to God. You remember whenever the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, he would stand there on behalf of the people of God, but he would wear a breastplate that had 12 precious stones representing the power and the authority that God had given him. 12 is a big number to God. Come on, fast forward to a New Testament. You know our New Testament high priest who is Jesus. The first time we see Jesus teaching in the temple is at the tender age of 12, and they marveled at the wisdom that came out of a 12-year-old. You remember when that 12-year-old turned 30 and got ready to pick his crew, his disciples, his road dogs. If it was me, I would have stopped at 11. But not Jesus. He said, I need a hater too. Come on, Judas. And he picked 12 guys to roam the earth. Let me bring the text to Christmas. That's 12 days of 12 is a big number to God. What is 12? 12 is the number of God's power. 12 is the number of God's authority. Do you know what Jesus is trying to teach us with the 12s? He's trying to teach us what he's been trying to say since the moment he landed in Bethlehem. He said, I don't care if it's a blind eye, a deaf ear, a withered hand, an issue of blood, a storm, sickness, disease, demonic depression, or even death itself. There's absolutely nothing that you're facing that is not under the jurisdiction of my power and my authority. Come on, I got the power and the authority to handle whatever the enemy is throwing against you. Oh, come on, can we take a praise break? Would somebody just praise God like you know he's got the power and the authority? Woo! Hallelujah! Twelve! It is the number of God's power. It is the number of God's authority. That's what 12 is about, his authority. Oh, why is that important, Robert? His authority is so important because it is your awareness of God's authority that will determine how much you receive from him. Oh, I'm going to say that again. It is your awareness of God's authority that will determine how much you receive from him. 
See, often we look at a passage like this and we just reduce it to faith because he said, daughter, your faith has healed you. And don't get me wrong, faith is important. You need faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is our anchor. But nobody takes an anchor and just throws the anchor in the water. You're going to lose that anchor. You better connect that anchor. And watch this. My faith is connected to his authority, the authority of his word, the authority of his power. If you don't know that God is the ultimate authority, then your faith is going to struggle. Some of you think you got a faith problem. You're like, oh, I just got to get more faith, get more faith. Your faith is fine. All you need is mustard seed faith. What you really need is an awareness of God's authority to know that he has the final say, to know that when God says it, that settles it. If you connect your faith to his authority, then your faith can actually go to a whole nother level because your faith and his authority are connected. Ooh, give us some scripture for that, Robert. I'll give you some scripture. You remember the disciples? I'm almost done. You remember the disciples? Remember they're on the boat and the winds and the waves are going crazy. It's a hurricane and Jesus is chillaxing in the bottom of the boat, just, just sound asleep. And they're like, Jesus, don't you care? We're about to die. And Jesus gets up in a hurricane, in a hurricane, cool, calm, and collected because he's got sovereign sway. And he just goes in a hurricane and he goes to the edge of the boat in a hurricane and just goes, peace. Be still. And the winds and the waves are calm in a moment. And all the disciples' jaws are on the floor and they go, who is this man? Who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? They marveled at his authority. And what did Jesus say to them? Oh, you of a little, your faith is little because you didn't have an awareness of my authority. If you knew who I really was, if you knew who I really was, you should have looked at me when I was asleep on the boat and said, who is this man that is sleeping and snoring in the middle of a hurricane? If this storm is not bothering him, psh, it ain't going to bother me. Scoot over, Jesus. Let me just cuddle with you. Because if you're not stressing about this, you must know in the end, whoo, I'm going to win. Come on, somebody. God is not stressing about what you're stressing about because he's got power and authority. You might not have a faith problem. You might have an awareness of his authority problem. See, you, th you think the doctor is the final authority. You think your friends are the final authority. You think your cousin and them are the final authority. Once you know God is the ultimate authority, you can connect your faith to that, and your faith will go to a whole nother level. Ooh, can I give you a little bit more? Jairus got a house call because that was his awareness of God's authority. Remember how he approaches Jesus? He works in the synagogue. He's a pastor. He's a classic pastor. Approaches Jesus like a pastor. He said, Jesus, please, my baby girl is dying. Would you please come to the house? We already got the worship music playing. Um, and uh, will you lay your hands on her? He's Pentecostal too. He said, would you lay your hands on her? Because <laughs> that's the only way it's going to work. That's my awareness of your authority. So that's what Jesus did. He followed him. This woman had a whole nother awareness of his authority. She said, Jesus, you ain't got to come to my house because I ain't got time for that. All I got to do is just touch the hem of your garment. If I just touch the hem of your garment. I know 
I'm going to be made whole. And that's what she got because that was her awareness of his authority. Oh, but this is first service. We're my Bible people. How many of you remember a centurion that had a whole nother awareness of his authority? Because he rolled up on Jesus and said, I'm a man in authority and under authority. He said, my servant is sick, but I'm not worthy for you to come to my house, Jesus. Just speak the word. If you'll just send a voice memo, I know he'll be healed. And that servant got healed without Jesus even being in the proximity of them because somebody understood Ooh, authority oh you don't have a faith problem you have an awareness of his authority problem oh and what did Jesus say to that centurion never have I seen a faith like this in all of Israel Jesus marveled at his faith how many of you know when Jesus marvels you better pay attention he marveled at his faith why are you marveling at his faith because he's got an awareness of my authority you don't have a faith problem. You have an awareness of his authority problem. And in this holiday season, and before you step right into 2019, it is my prayer that God would cement in your heart and in your soul that he is the ultimate authority, that when he says a thing, when he gives you a promise, it will come to pass because he's the ultimate authority. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody just give God praise right there. Somebody can come play softly behind me. This might be one of the most important messages you ever hear because if I don't believe that somebody is the ultimate authority, then I'm going to doubt the validity of their words. If I don't believe that you're the real authority, how many know I'm going to doubt the validity of your words? Come on, let's just think practically. You've been there before. You ever been on the phone or at a place of business and, and you're talking to somebody that you knew was a mid-level employee and they're telling you something that is just contradictory to good customer service, something that doesn't sound right? And then after a while, you just get so annoyed. You're like, okay, that does not sound. Can I please speak to your manager? Can I please speak to your supervisor? Oh, y'all don't do that here in Johnson City. Y'all super safe, okay? I do that. I speak to managers. I speak to supervisors. And, and this happened to me not too long ago. Not too long ago, I had a reservation at a hotel that had been booked for several months. And the girl behind the desk, bless her heart, she was like, oh, I'm so sorry, Mr. Madu. We don't have any more rooms. We're fully committed. I said, but I made this reservation several months ago. She's like, no, I'm sorry. We're, we're fully committed. And I wasn't rude. I just said, can I please speak to your manager? Can I please speak to your supervisor? The manager comes behind the desk. She goes, oh, hello, Mr. Madu. Girl, move. I'm so sorry. Um, she's new. Um, here it is right here. Here's your reservation. I found it. In fact, for all your trouble, I'm going to upgrade you to an executive suite. How did I go from about to be on the street to an executive suite? Because somebody with some power and some authority knew which button to push. Oh, come on. I hope you get so annoyed by what the devil is doing to your family, to your mind, that you just throw up your hands and say, I need to speak to the supervisor. I need to speak to the God that formed me, that knows me. I need to speak to the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Oh, somebody give them some praise in this place today. If you know who has the power. Hallelujah. And the authority. Oh, when you know who has the power and the authority, your faith can go to a whole nother level. I'm done. Everybody stand that can. Because Jesus has the power and the authority. Watch this. He heals this woman, takes his time to talk to her, 
while Jairus has to wait, he lets Jairus' daughter die to the point that Jairus thought all hope was lost. But he didn't know who had the power and who had the authority. And even after Jairus thought all hope was lost, he's already healed this woman with the issue of blood, took away her shame by talking to her, then takes Jairus to the house. They had already started the funeral. They already concluded it was over. Like some of you here today that are looking at situations that are dead and the enemy has told you that it's over. The marriage is over. The business is over. The kids are over. And Jesus walks in and says, why are y'all crying? This girl is not dead. She's just asleep. And when he said that, they laughed at him. Because unbelief will always laugh at the language of faith. And he said, oh, you think that's funny? Oh, you think that's funny? <laughs> Every one of y'all that laughed, I got a word for you. Get out. Get out. Somebody needs to serve an eviction notice to some things in your life today. Tell fear to get out. Tell low self-esteem to get out. Tell depression to get out. Tell that anxiety to get out. Once they got out, then that little girl could get up. I'm telling you, I've never been more passionate about a message because the more I study the Word of God, I'm beginning to find out that God is an environmentalist. All the way from, Gina, all the way from Genesis, first he creates the water, then the fish. First the soil, then the tree. First the sky, then the stars. Because if the atmosphere is not conducive for the miracle, It'll never come to pass. This is your season, especially your year, to look at things in your life and say, you know what, enough is enough. It's time for you to get out so that some dead things can get up. I'm going to ask every head be bowed, every eye closed. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you that you meet us right where we are. Father, thank you that you have all power and all authority. But today, Jesus, we take power, we take authority, we look at things in our life that need to get out and we speak to them by the authority you've given us just in this atmosphere with heads bowed eyes closed if you're here today and you'd be so honest to say you know what there are some things maybe it's some people maybe it's an attitude or a mindset something in your life that you know it's time for it to get out so that a dead thing can get up if that's you and you know what that is would you just lift up your hand just as a sign to say God today today I know what it is and I'm releasing it today yeah Wow, hands going up all over this place today. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, with that hand lifted, let's pray this closing prayer as one big family. We're all going to say it, but just say this. Say, dear Jesus, thank you so much for dying on a cross and getting up from the grave with all power and all authority. God, I know that you have the final say. I connect my faith to your authority and Jesus today I take authority and I speak to things in my life that need to get out so that dead things can get up Jesus thank you that you are the resurrection and the life in Jesus name amen Amen, amen. Come on, give God one more hand clap of praise today. God bless you, Calvin.